0: here we go. This is the first time I have done this. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even turn on all my lights. Uh, let me first do the intro, then I'll fix my, my background stuff for you guys. But uh, the first time I've done this, and I went into this thinking I was going to be defending Joel Osteen actually a lot more than I am. I'm trying to give a fair analysis of a typical sermon from Joel Osteen. Um, how many of us have watched one of his sermons all the way through even? Like, how many of you, like, really carefully watch, not just listen but carefully listened all the way through evaluating his use of scripture listening to his points considering them against christian theology but it's like way worse than i thought um i'm going to get into the details this is a random joel osteen sermon as i hold on i fix my my lights my camera all this stuff these are the things i do before i go live <laughs> except today um all right so what we're going to do right now is we're going to play through an entire Joel Osteen sermon. This sermon's called Let It Go, and I don't think it's meant to invoke visions of the Frozen song, although that will be in your head by the end of all this. What we're going to do is consider it carefully, consider it thoughtfully. Um, I'm, not, I'm not witch hunting. I'm not looking for things to complain about, but they will present themselves <laughs> whether I like it or not. And this is going to be something that I hope helps you. If you're a Joel Osteen fan... I especially want you to watch this video. I'm, I'm not yelling like he's a heretic and he's a false teacher and you need to, you know, like, we need to burn his church down. Uh, I, I want us to, like, really carefully think through this in faithfulness to Jesus, in love for the Word of God, and because the the true message of Scripture is precious and wonderful and good, we're going to consider these things thoughtfully. So here we go. This is the beginning of his message. We're listening to the entire message beginning to end. Nothing's cut out except for... Uh, the intro part of the video which just replays later parts of the same message okay that's you'll see that later so here's the opening
1: i like to start with something funny and i heard about these two brothers they were known for being very dishonest having no integrity they were very wealthy one of them died his brother said to the pastor i'll make a deal with you if you'll say at the funeral that my brother was a saint i'll make a large donation to your church the pastor agreed the man made the donation at the funeral, the pastor said this man was dishonest. He cheated, lied, stole, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> okay,
0: that's 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 the opening of the sermon. Um, I don't have much to say about this, okay? It's it's supposed to be something funny. I don't really get the joke that much, to be honest. Maybe it's just my sense of humor. Um, I think the pastor was deceptive in order to get money from this guy. That's not funny to me. <laughs> so, But I would say this, pastors in general, it's probably best if we don't, start our messages with jokes that imply um, money-grubbing leadership. <laughs> like I'm just suggesting this is probably not the best thing in the world. Uh, but anyway, it, that's that's not really what this is all about. Here's what it's really about. Here's the second clip.
1: Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless
0: you. We've got to talk about this in more detail. This is something actually Osteen has his congregation say every Sunday, every, every service, they hold up their Bibles. Now this is not inherently, there's nothing wrong with this, okay? Creeds are, statement of a statement of faith is is pretty typical in lots of churches throughout history to say a creed to talk about our essential beliefs the things that identify who we are as christians Um, what's strange here is the creed so most creeds typical creeds are usually about central christian beliefs we believe this about jesus we believe this about god we believe this about the holy spirit we believe this about salvation you know we're saved by faith things like that that jesus died and rose again bodily these, this is like typical Christian creeds. This is, this is what I expect if there's a creed. Um, and it's okay if you don't have that tradition to say those creeds at the beginning of your service. That's fine. But what's weird is the nature of the creed. Now, let's go line by line through their, through their creed because it ties in to what's wrong with the whole sermon and what's wrong with Joel Osteen's ministry in general I, I I don't say this to be cruel. Okay, I know Joel Lucien's like a real person. He he probably won't watch this video because he won't give. He thinks it's wrong to give the time of day to people like me. Um, uh, but but if he does, Joel, if you watch this, like uh, as your brother who cares about you and cares about your congregation and cares about you standing before God one day to give account for your ministry, I hope you'll consider the following. Um, so here's the creed. It says, "This is my Bible." Notice that's not a statement of doctrine. I haven't actually said anything about what I believe about the Bible, what the Bible is or who Jesus is. Um, What they say about the Bible next is very telling as to the focus of this ministry and the focus of Joel Osteen's teaching in general. He says, they say, I am what it says I am. So they hold it up. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. Okay. I would say that's true. Okay. But it's also very unclear. Um, A statement of faith here is a statement of faith about me, not about Christ or the Bible. Right, We went straight from the Bible to me. I am what it says I am. See the, And the Bible is seen, I think, in Joel Osteen's teaching as primarily as something that's there to tell me good things about me. That's pretty much the function of Scripture in the teaching that I see from Joel Osteen. So that, that makes sense. Um, but what about someone who's unsaved? If they hold up a Bible and they go, this is the Bible, I am what it says I am, and they're not saved. According to the Bible, they're children of wrath. Right? But Joel Osteen says he's not here to tell people they're wrong. Like that's his his agenda is to not tell people they're wrong, to not point out things that are negative. He said this in interviews in various places and it's consistent in his teaching. So, I am what it says I am. What's hidden behind that, I think in Osteen's teaching is I will go to the Bible and find nice things for it to say about me. <laughs> that's what it ends up being. So, it's never really stated carefully or clearly and the value of i am what the bible says i am is not held consistently because when it says i'm a i'm a fallen man i'm a sinner i'm I'm lost i'm a child of wrath like apart from christ he'll never say those things to people he will keep them out of his pulpit intentionally and deliberately so that's a problem um all right um, I have what it says I have is the next part of the creed. I, I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. Again, it's vague, but we can see the focus is on the. Um, the Bible is something that gives me things, gives me qual- positive qualities, and gives me positive things. Okay, this is this is going to be prosperity teaching. Ultimately, is what's going to come down to. Um, creeds are meant to distinguish uniquely Christian beliefs from false unChristian beliefs. That's the main function of creeds. This isn't that at all. Um, in my own mind. When you say, I have what the Bible says, I have that has deep meaning as a Christian, as a pastor, as a guy who studies the Bible. When I say I am what it says I am, I I mean, I get that. I'm like, I'm a child of God because of the grace of Christ. I'm forgiven. I'm called to live as a light in this world. Jesus sends us out as lights in the world. I'm, I'm part of the body of believers. I'm part of the temple of the Holy Spirit. So these are beautiful, wonderful things, right? It's the grace of Christ, the future promises of eternal life. I have these things. But in Osteen's context, it becomes something very different. In the the Joel Osteen context, this vague statement becomes a positive thinking mantra. It's God's favor on my money, my physical health, and my generally happy life. You'll see this over and over again. I've already studied his teaching. He delivered this teaching um, a week and a day ago at his church. And again, it's called Let It Go. I've got a link, or I will have a link below if I, I haven't already put it there. The next statement is, I can do what it says I can do. Again, this is super vague. So I, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Let's see what the rest of this video gives for context of I do what it says I can do. Then he goes on to say um, and have the congregation repeat, today I will be taught the word of God. That is inaccurate. Like that, that promise is not fulfilled. As we'll find out, this is what surprised me. Joel Osteen misuses scripture in every case except one. There's one where he uses, I think, scripture properly. And every other case, we'll look at the verses themselves this is, this is not, you're not being taught the word of God. You're being taught. Joel has a point. He's going to take a scripture out of context to try to, to try to prove it. And, um, that's wrong. Like if I love God's word, I, I would never take it out of context knowingly or, or perhaps just recklessly. So we'll see about that. Will Joel teach us the Bible or will he use the Bible to try to elevate the, the authority of his own statements? And that's what we'll see. The last phrase is, um, I'll boldly confess I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I don't actually expect this from every sermon. Like I I would never have the church say this like thinking it's true. Like every Sunday you're like your life is totally changed. Like, (laughs) like, okay, it's it's just super high expectations is part of the preaching ministry of Joel Osteen. So he wants to create those. Um, the gospel changes your life forever. Absolutely. Every single message from my pastor changes my life forever. No, I don't expect that. I think that's unrealistic and uh, unnecessary because I have Jesus. My life has been changed. Then they say in Jesus' name to end the the, the creed. Um, okay. Jesus' name, how is it being used? We'll, t- we'll see more on that. Let's watch the next clip.
1: I want to talk to you today about let it go. We all go through disappointments and things that are not fair <laughs> It's easy to hold on to the hurts and think about what they said, relive the offense. We get up in the morning, and it's the first thing that comes to mind. We don't realize how much that's affecting us, souring our attitude, draining our energy, limiting our creativity. If you're going to fulfill your destiny, you have to get good at letting things go.
0: I just realized now, next to Joel Osteen, how pale I look in (laughs) I need to adjust my camera. <laughs> or I should just let that go. All right, um, here's the thing. The opening of the sermon, gives, it gives you the whole sermon in a nutshell. He's like, yeah, let it go. Just, guys, let it go is, is the idea. And the reason for letting it go is what we're really going to highlight here. Um, what are we letting go and why are we letting go of it? So are you letting go of bad feelings about offensive or painful things that have happened to you? Or are you are you letting go of, like, your sinful attitudes and actions, um, in, in a sense of like repentance. And it's going to just be, you're the victim and you have to let go of things. We'll get more into detail there, but the ultimate principle that Joel has, and this is consistent, he'll say it over and over again in in this, you're going to get tired of hearing it, is that if you're going to fulfill your destiny, I'm quoting him now, you have to get good at letting things go. So this is a very important thing, um, uh, to Joel, like you have a destiny to fulfill and the way you can achieve it is by what I'm going to talk about today, letting things go. Okay. Letting stuff go is important. Joel has half of a good message here. And I don't want to dis- I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? That you should let go of past pains and hurts and regrets and all this stuff in a sense, but there's more to it than that. And, and you know, it's half baked, so to speak. So what follows is a distorted version of what the Bible teaches on letting things go. You want to fulfill your destiny is the agenda for him. Um, biblically, your destiny, is being a light in the world for Christ, knowing Jesus, making him known. It might involve losing family and friends, actually, in your life. That might be part of God's plan for your life, is that you actually are losing relationships, not just having happiness and success in business and stuff like that. But that's, Osteen is his success in every area of your life is what your destiny is. Um, the focus will be on this world, not God's kingdom. Jesus is like, store up treasures on, on, in heaven. Joel Osteen's message is gonna be about storing them up on earth. Um let's look at the next clip. which is number 4
1: and see the new things God has in store or whether you get stuck bitter over what didn't work out.
0: Um th- do you see this is um that should have been a longer clip, I think. Did I get that wrong? Stuck bitter over what didn't work out. Just make sure I've got like so many clips. Sure, that did this right. Pulling it up now.
1: Jesus said, offenses will come. He didn't say they might come. If you're a good person, if you're nice, nobody will do you wrong. He said, disappointments will come. Betrayals, things that are not fair will come. How you deal with these offenses, how you handle the hurts will determine whether you move forward. And see the new things God has in store, or whether you get stuck bitter over what didn't work out.
0: Okay, we just have the end of the clip there for some reason. But yeah, the, the issue here is, uh, he's quoting Jesus now for the first time. This is a, a big deal. Osteen clips are quieter than my voice. I'm, gonna, I'm boosting them up. Let me know if that fixes it. Thanks for letting me know, Sarah. Um, <laughs> Okay, Joel Osteen, what he just did was he quoted Jesus. He, he says, hey, if, you got to see this to juxtapose like how the scripture is being used. Like we got we to get those skills to just know when Jesus is being hijacked for some purpose other than what Jesus has, right? So he says, Jesus said offenses will come. Now in Osteen's context, offenses are betrayals, things that are unfair and hurts that come against you. The offenses are personal. You're the center of the universe here. The offenses are against you personally. I'm offended, I'm hurt. Let's look at what Jesus actually said in context. So here's Luke chapter 17 verse 1. I don't know here what translation he's using. Using, you'll find that Joel plays fast and loose with translations he's using. At one point he uses the Amplified Bible, but then he uses another quote later, and I can't I can't find that version anywhere. So Luke 17:1. Uh, then he said to the disciples, "It's impossible that no offences should come, but woe to him through whom they do come." What is what is Joel leave out? woe to him through whom they do come. Like he's never going to talk about this part because this is negative and this will be absent from a message on the topic. Um, but when we look at this stuff in context, we find that these offenses are causing believers to sin. They're not you personally being hurt because someone offended you. They're offenses that cause you to offend Christ with sinful behavior in your life. Let me take you another passage that gets into more detail. It's Matthew 18, verse 6 and verse through verse 9. Let's read Jesus... Joel's quoting Jesus. Let's read it here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, right? If you cause a believer to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses for offenses must come. That's what Joel quoted, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. So offenses in Jesus's concept here are the things that cause you to stumble in sin. People who put sin before you, Right um, uh, pornographic websites are putting sin before others and and leading to them stumbling. And there's going to be great judgment from God upon the people who are promoting this stuff and creating it and pushing it like that kind of thing. People who give false gospels, false teachings, there's going to be great judgment from God upon the people who do these things. These are the offenses. So offenses against you is the focus of Joel offenses against God is the focus of Jesus. And that's a nice summary of how Joel Osteen's teaching does things. It takes it and says, I'm going to take this thing that's about Jesus and about God. And I'm going to wrap it around me. And it's about me now. And really it's about you. And this is why he's so likable. He's so sneak and positive. I like the positivity, but I think rational people know that pure positivity is, it's like just eating sugar for dinner. <laughs> it's it's going to get you sick. Um, so Osteen hijacked Jesus's concern, replaces it with his own. This is his first use of scripture. And it's completely, completely wrong, but I think it's typical. Now, your wounds do matter. You listening, your wounds matter. People hurting you, that matters. But you can't make yourself the hero of the universe here um, and recognize that in those wounds is a temptation, in those wounds is an opportunity for you to extend the grace God's given you towards others and those types of things. We'll talk more about a biblical view of personal wounds as we go. Let's go to clip number five.
1: I've heard it said, if you don't heal from emotional wounds, you will bleed on people that had nothing to do with it. How many people are living wounded over how they were raised? A friend that walked away? Business partner that cheated them? Instead of letting it go, they replay it in their mind. We live all the hurt. They wonder why they don't have good relationships. It's because they haven't healed. They're living out of a wounded place.
0: I mean, I, I get why it's likable. <laughs> the teaching's likable. I don't doubt that. I mean, I, if you're like, I like his teaching, I agree with you. I like it too but I don't think that matters all that much. So the the, the truth here is that um, emotional pain you do hold on to. I agree with Joel here, right? And you should too, I think. Right? If you hold on to emotional pain and hurt, you will end up bleeding on and hurting other people. That's absolutely the case. That does happen because we're holding on to, or uh, I say holding on to, I think the right term biblically is perhaps bitterness um, that w- w- we're dealing with. Um, but when we overdiagnose, if we make this a catch-all, if we, if we act like this is the, the single feature of your life that determines your, your, your destiny or your failure is how you handle emotional hurt from the past, then that's a problem. Um, it makes me the victim of everything that happens in my life. That's bad. I'm, I'm now the victim of everything that happens bad. And the Bible allows for some of this, some of the trauma that happens to you. You're, you're innocent of, I didn't cause that. I didn't deserve it. I got it. Like read the book of Psalms. It talks about bringing, you know, David bringing trauma to God. The psalmist is bringing trauma to God. Like I've gone through this and I didn't deserve it Lord, but I'm appealing to you. So we need to take that stuff to God with integrity. That's true. But we don't want to over-diagnose it and act like that's the source of all of our pains is others hurting me and I'm not the cause. Because I know I am. I mean, speak for myself here. I've, I'm the cause of the worst of my emotional suffering in life. Me. So I can't really call that hurt. I think I should call it um, self-inflicted wounds <laughs> in all reality. So imagine you went to a doctor and the doctor's like, hey, you know, uh, vitamin C will fix all your ills. All you need is vitamin C and you'll be entirely healthy. And that's what Joel Osteen's doing. He's like, all your pains and all your emotional issues, you just have to let it go and problem solved. But what about when the issues you have are bitterness in your own heart, unforgiveness towards others, anger towards others as a way of deflecting that it was you who sinned against them. And that happens all the time because we're humans. And we don't want to feel bad about what we've done. Let me read Ephesians 4. Here's like a biblical advice, and it's not just letting things go. It's, it's a little better than that. It's more thorough than that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I don't think Joel Osteen would ever talk to his congregation from the sermons, this one and others I've heard of his, about how they deal—they're bitter and they're wrathful, they're angry, they're clamorous, they evil, they speak evil and they have malice like this. But Paul did because he because he actually cared about people's real issues and real conditions, and was going to deal with them honestly. And Hey, that's me, man. I've been bitter. I've got wrath issues. I've got anger issues, clamor, evil speaking, malice. Like, that's me. But Joel's teaching makes you just, you would erase all this and just say, let go of the hurt of your past, right? that That's thats all it is, is the hurt. It's just hurt. So for, for um, general hurt, he's going to talk about people having the death of a loved one, um, having loss, people moving away from your life. I wouldn't really call that letting it go. I would call that looking forward to the hope that God has for us personally as a pastor, I would teach about things like you've lost relationships, but there's a great restoration in, in, in eternity. We're going to have this incredible reunion. All those in Christ gathered together in perfect love and fellowship, closer relationships than you've ever had before. I wouldn't call that letting go. I call it hoping for the future. Personally, that's the direction I would go. Jesus is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. You don't have to stop hurting about your loss of loved one, but you can be hopeful about the fact that one day you will stop hurting uh, because you will have him wiping away every tear. That to me seems like a more biblical approach. Let's go to the sixth clip.
1: God brings a new person, somebody great, but they're so insecure. They don't feel valuable, attractive. This new person has to keep them fixed, go overboard to make sure they know how great they are. The problem is that's not sustainable until you get well, until you let go of what didn't work out, not carry the hurt, that wound is going to hinder you wherever you go.
0: Okay, what we're getting here is a scenario. Um, there's a problem that humans have, and they have this insecurity, right? To, to to deal with your insecurity, which is a normal human issue, I have it, you have it. Um, and you're like, no, I don't. And I'm like, yeah, you do. That's it's part of the evidence. Um, but to deal with this, I would say we need to focus on the grace of Christ. So it's not that we need to be told, you're good, you're great, you're beautiful, you're attractive we need to affirm that you have all the qualities that you feel insecure about not having instead we affirm whatever you're lacking you find in Christ and see how it turns the focus of osteen is on telling you you're enough whereas the focus of scripture is saying Jesus is enough and here as a christian i find way more health in being able to say yeah i've got all those shortcomings and all these lacks but i have christ so they don't matter that much it's not that big of a thing i'm not i'm not stressed about it it's okay because i have christ and he is enough so i'm in i'm insufficient but that's not that big of a deal i don't need every per, i don't need every human to think they're attractive they need to think that it's not that big of a deal that they're not attractive that's actually more important um but that's the different that's the different focus here between i think a biblical perspective and what joel osteen is up teaching um if you don't feel that valuable that's a tricky subject um You have initial value in God's image. According to scripture, you're made in God's image, but that value is is damaged. There's something damaged there because like Romans 3.12, right? He wants to tell everybody they're super valuable and there's a truth there, but there's more. Romans 3.12 tells us, you know, that all have become unprofitable. (laughs) So you're not bringing benefit. You're not bringing bringing value. That's the issue is that maybe I'm made in God's image. I have initial value, but I'm not not bringing value. I'm not, God's not getting me the return on his investment in me. And that is true until I turn to Christ and then I'm, re- I'm redeemed. Matthew 25, 30, Jesus talks about casting the, what the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Obviously, Joel Osteen's never going to teach people and warn people about these things in his study, in his messages, because he's committed to positivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is true. And, and so there's then a redemptive value that's, what I have apart from Christ, but in Christ, I become the temple of the Holy spirit. Think about value there. Right? Um, I become a, a child of God but here's the interesting thing is biblically this is not my intrinsic value right? while well, I am made in the image of God and there's intrinsic value there but my position before God in Christ being the temple of the Holy Spirit having eternal life um, being part of the body of Christ this is the greatest privilege of my life but that's given by grace so it's not about affirming my worth I think it's about affirming my blessings you've been blessed, you've been graced so that it provokes gratitude instead of entitlement he talked about the importance of believing how attractive you are i this strikes to me strikes against my christian values because i think we need to not put such value on attractiveness and that's where i want to be as a christian being attractive isn't that important physically it's just not that important that's my christian value whereas affirming that people are attractive is somehow something this is something he mentioned that you know you needed people to tell you you're attractive um it's not that important. <laughs> so um, you have to know how great you are. That's the bottom line, and that's not it's not biblical. It's, it's about the greatness of Christ, and then anything we get is just through Christ. That's more biblical. Here's the next clip.
1: If you're still wounded over a position you lost, you'll go to that new company, defensive, on edge, not friendly. You're treating them based on what you've been through, but they had nothing to do with it. It's much more freeing when you learn to let things go. It wasn't fair. That's okay. God will be your vindicator. He'll take care of who did you wrong. It's not your job to pay people back. They hurt you once. Don't let them continue to hurt you by holding on to it.
0: There's a lot of good stuff that he just said there. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Like you don't want to project your past pains onto other people in hurtful ways. And we can mistreat others all the time. I mean, that's, that, that's good advice. Don't treat others how you've been treated. That's beautiful advice. I think in Christianity, we actually even go a step further. So that's good advice. But I think I would, I, I like to remind myself of the extremity of the calling of Christ in my life. And here it is, uh, Luke 6:27 through 36. I'm going to read a big section to you. Jesus says, not just don't hurt the innocent people because of what the guilty people did to you. But he goes beyond that and says, I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. I remind myself of this passage all the time to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies and do to do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. And the reward he's talking about in context here in Luke 6 is treasures in heaven. Not reward on earth treasures in heaven. So, um, I just want to make that clear because I know how that would be used. If you've heard Joel Osteen, ah, your reward will be great. You're going to get your promotion. You're going to get your advancement. You're going to have your breakthrough and all this stuff. And um, that's not the point. So the teaching of Jesus man goes way further than that. Don't just not bleed on the innocent. He's saying if, if someone wounds you don't even bleed on the guilty. You're to offer that kind of love as a Christian. And why? Because Jesus gave you that kind of love. You were guilty and and he bled for you instead of on you, you know, and he, he, he didn't hurt you. He suffered for you and he calls you to try to follow him in that. And that's, that's sacrifice. That's love. There is, there is across Osteen's teaching. And I don't know if you noticed it in this clip so far, an assumption of innocence. I want to highlight this and consider it as we continue listening to his, his sermon. There's an assumption that everyone listening is innocent right? He'll talk about people who've wounded you. There's no acknowledgement that the guy next to you in church might be the one who wounded you. He just talks to everybody as though they are the wounded. Everybody as though they are the victim. Everybody as though they're the innocent one. And, um, scripture doesn't do this at all. Um, it speaks very openly and honestly to different people in different places in life, but this is consistent with Osteen. Uh, Joel Osteen says, you know, maybe you lost a job and it's assumed that it was because you were mistreated. It's not because you deserved it. Like you showed up late and you deserved to get fired. Instead, you're just a hurt wounded person. God will give you a better job, don't worry. If you were fired from your job because of poor conduct, like you you have to learn from it and repent. Like you don't need to nurse fake wounds and act like the victim. Um, I. It's funny how this is unpopular teaching nowadays, but it's like society will not work if we don't realize these things, right? Um, so. The assumption of innocence, I think actually hurts people because it causes people who need to repent to instead feel like they need to be consoled right I should repent of my mean, bitter attitude towards family instead i'm I need to be consoled because my family's so mean to me i'm the victim of everything i'm always the victim i'm always the one suffering and i'm going to but I feel good about myself because i'm going to forgive them and i'm I'm going to let it go and you're like you should actually go and repent to them in some in many cases this is the way it is. So the assumption of innocence, we can see that happening throughout his stuff. Let's go to the next clip, um, and he'll talk about the loss of a loved one.
1: You lost a loved one. I know that's painful. It's okay to go through a season of mourning, but you can't hold on to the hurt. Living in mourning is going to keep the new doors from opening. You have to heal so you can see the new relationships, the new opportunities,
0: this is kind of that like law of attraction sort of thing where it's like you, you, um, you, you don't want to live in mourning. You don't want to live in grief. It's going to like mystically keep new things and good things from coming your way. You want to have positive affirmations because it's going to kind of, your words are going to create reality. None of that's biblical it's that's law of attraction stuff that, um, it sounds good, but it's also super self-serving because you're the center of the universe at that point. But let's talk about this loss of a loved one thing. Um, this is so different than everything else he's talked about so far. Because earlier he's talking about hurts such as people hurting you, sinning against you. This is different. This is loss of a loved one has nothing to do with you sinning and, and or, or someone sinning against you. We're talking about the hurt of losing relationship with a loved one who died and passed away. So this is like a preacher tactic. And you can see this. It's not necessarily always bad, but it's a preacher tactic. And it's a way of broadening the application of your message. right? So Joel just wants to talk about all emotional pain now. He doesn't just want to talk about letting go of hurt. He's now talking about letting go of the mourning of the loss of a loved one, which if you're me, you're like thinking, or if you're like me, you're thinking that doesn't fit your message so far, Joel. Like the loss of a loved one feels like it's a very different scenario. Um, What is the application? What's the principle he's applying here? I still don't entirely know. Um, Usually what we do is we start with the biblical teaching and then we try to apply it to people's lives. Joel starts with application, let it go. And then he tries to find verses to support it. And then he applies it vaguely into all sorts of wide things, but you couldn't really rationally say what let it go is about, right? You couldn't really out, outline it. It's it's just a life coach thing. He's just being a life coach here and not a, not so much giving people discernment and clarity. So don't mourn according to Joel's teaching, or you won't see new opportunities. Um, that's a bit vague. Um, and it probably did help somebody, somebody in the audience is like grieving and grieving and they're thinking, yeah, you know what? I got to get out of bed. I got to get out and have relationships and friendships and I got to be at work. So that may help somebody, but it also, it feels like small help for someone who's truly mourning over the loss of a loved one. And here I would say your hope is in the resurrection and your hope is in the good and righteous. If they're not saved, you trust in the goodness and righteousness and proper judgment of God. If they are saved, you know, you look forward to seeing them again and fellowshipping with them again and. That's a different angle though. So now he goes back to forgiving others, not to the pain of loss of a job or of, or of a loved one. He's going to shift over to forgiving others. Let's read about what he says about Peter. Uh, Listen to what he says about Peter. This is poor Peter. He always gets abused by preachers.
1: (laughs) In the scripture, Peter asked Jesus how often he should forgive someone that did him wrong. It's funny because Peter was known to be offensive. He's the one that cursed out the young lady when Jesus was arrested. He cut off a soldier's ear defending Jesus. He said, Jesus, should I forgive them seven times? The Jewish law said three times. He more than doubled it. He thought, Jesus, I'm growing. I'm come a long way. Jesus said, Peter, seven is good, but I want you to forgive them 70 times seven. It wasn't really about the number. Jesus was showing us a principle. He was saying, I want you to live in a continual process of forgiveness. Not something you do every once in a while, but on a daily basis, forgiveness should be a part of our life. He was setting a system in place so we wouldn't hold on to the hurts, offenses, disappointments. He knew that practically every day we would have these opportunities. The quicker you let things go, the easier it is.
0: All right, so a lot so some of his conclusions there are actually spot on for application of your life, um some of them. <laughs> but but what he does to Peter is not appropriate, okay? So it's again it's Joel's use of scripture is problematic and I th- I think there's only one example of a proper good use of scripture in this entire sermon. And every other example is a, an abuse of scripture. He started with a point and he found a verse to use it to to use to make that point. So Peter, he says is known to be offensive, okay? no, he's not. <laughs> okay. No, he's not like, I don't see, I don't, I don't know that Peter's known to be offensive. He gives a couple examples. Peter cursed out a young lady. Uh, no, he didn't. Okay. So let's look at this in scripture, Mark 14 verses 69 through 71. Here's the actual passage. Um, Mark 14. All right, let me get you there. And, um, who did, who did, did Peter curse out a young lady in this passage? Um, and the servant girl saw him again. Now this is, Peter's there, uh, while Jesus is, is, is being taken away to be crucified, Peter is there, he's nearby, and this is a dangerous moment for them, right? Peter, if he's identified as a as a disciple of Christ, he might get attacked by the crowd too. So the servant girl saw him and began to say to those who stood by, this is one of them, but he denied it again. This is part of Peter denying that he knows Jesus, and that he's, he's a disciple. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you're one of them for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. He wasn't cursing out anybody. He was calling curses down upon himself in the old school way of saying, um, like if I'm lying, I'm dying, right? It, it, that's what he's saying. He's like, curse. His curses are to say, if I'm, if I'm one of Jesus' disciples, oh, I, I don't know the man, and and may God do such and such to me if I'm not telling the truth. Now, it's a, it's a, it's an oath, a curse upon himself, a swear, an oath to promise that he's telling the truth. That's what he's doing. He's not cursing out a young lady. He's not being offensive in that sense. Um, the next one is him cutting off a soldier's ear, but that passage is not about offending people. Jesus is not like, Peter, you're being offensive again. You know how I don't want you to be offensive. Peter took a sword and tried to kill a man. That is not just about offending people. Like we can't just make that about a general offense. Jesus responds to show he doesn't want his disciples using violence to spread the kingdom of Christ. That's the lesson there. Don't use violence to spread the kingdom of Christ. It's not about don't offend people. In fact, The gospel is offensive. This is ironic because Peter is actually more offensive in the book of Acts than he is in the gospels. And this is after the Holy Spirit comes as a gospel preaching man. He offends people because he won't back down from the truth of the gospel because he tells people to repent. Paul says that the message of the cross is offensive to people and he preaches it anyways. So there is no biblical rule that you can't be offensive. There's ways to be offensive, right? If it's the truth of Jesus that offends you, then I'm in the right if it's my carnality that's offending you, now I'm wrong. But that clarity's not there. Um, he just wants to make a thing about of being offensive. He says that the Jewish law says uh, three about forgiveness that, you know, Peter's like, should I forgive three times or seven times? And um, Osteen says, hey, the Jewish law said you to forgive three times. Technically, that's not right. That's not the law. The law didn't say you to forgive three times. It was um, uh, later rabbis, like 100 years later, whatever. There's a rabbi who says, hey, three times is good enough. That may or may not have been known during the days of Jesus, we don't know for sure. Sometimes later rabbinic stuff, it's hard to know if it was around in the time of Christ. Um, so he he just misstates Jewish law there. Just a side issue. It's not that big of a thing, but um, we may be too harsh on Peter here. Joel's conclusion, though, is spot on. Jesus absolutely is trying to say, I want you just to forgive and forgive and keep forgiving. That's the point of Jesus it's seven times 70 and all that other stuff that he says there. So it's, it, what I would disagree, though, what I would disagree with Joel is the purpose of you forgiving people is not for your own benefit. It's for Christ. I had a conversation with a friend I was, I was talking to. Actually, it was Tim Barnett, buddy of mine, uh, who's also an apologist. He And I asked him, I said, Tim, if I told you as a Christian that you're supposed to forgive, and then I asked you why you should forgive, what things come to your mind? And he goes, oh, I think I should forgive because Christ forgave me. I think I should forgive because it's, it's, it's actually sinful for me to harbor unforgiveness after I've been so graciously forgiven. And I said, yeah, those two points Nowhere in Joel Osteen's message, <laughs> right You forgive for you, you forgive so you can have big open doors. You, you're forgiving them as a means to selfish ends, and that is a problem. What is that creating amongst people when we when we even forgive, when even our grace is purely for our gain?
1: in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. He was saying every day we should be ready to forgive. doesn't have to be big things. That man that cut you off in traffic, let it go. Don't let that sour your day. Your time is valuable. That's a distraction trying to get you off course, offended over something that doesn't matter. That clerk that's rude to you at the grocery store, just smile and move on.
0: What you need to know is what he didn't tell you about the Lord's Prayer. Um, he says, and I'm quoting here, don't let that sour your day, your time is valuable. Behind Joel's messages, I'm just trying to help you accomplish your goals and your mission and your destiny and your you and the glory of you is, is kind of what's sort of hidden behind the whole thing. What you'll never hear from Joel in this whole message is the reason Jesus says you need to forgive let's look at the passage he quoted and let's just read the rest of it okay so the whole lord's prayer right our our father